This podcast is brought to you by Crisp. It is a software that automatically mutes background noise in any communication app. No more embarrassing dog barks, traffic noises, crying babies, and family chatters when you're doing your calls from home or the nearby cafe. With Crisp, those noises will be muted and your caller will not be able to hear any of them. Not only is it able to remove background noises, it can also even remove the ones coming from your caller. So all you get is high-quality audio without the distractions. Crisp supports any devices and over 800 apps such as Zoom, Teams and WebEx. Try out the world's best AI-powered noise-cancelling technology for free. Simply go to adriantan.com.sg crisp to get started. Welcome to the show, I'm Adrian Tan. On the Adrian Tan Show, I speak with experts and thought leaders on issues surrounding the future of work. Companies in Singapore are so pampered by how business-friendly we are that the culture shock hits them like a rocket when they attempt to expand overseas. The hard copies, only submissions, months of waiting, and sometimes under-table arrangements to speed things up are not easy for Singapore companies to comprehend. But instead of going through all those pains to set up shop, there is another way to expand and ensure compliance effortlessly. That alternative is through a professional employer organization, or PEO for short, that provides comprehensive HR solutions such as payroll, benefits, HR, tax administration, and regulatory compliance assistance. My guest today, Amrit Singh, is an expert in this field, and we get to learn how PEO works and why it makes more sense to consider such options for business expansion today. Hi, Amrit. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So to begin with, maybe you can share with people what you do, your background, and what are you trying to solve with your current company? No problem, Adrian. Yeah, so essentially a bit of background on myself. So I started off as a chartered accountant with KPMG in London. Following that, you know, I joined Robert Walters and Corn Ferry, mainly within the consulting space. And over time, you know, I, I chanced upon this particular space while at Corn Ferry. And, and now what we are doing and what we are solving for is international compliance when it comes to employment. So I think in a, in a very interesting situation, you know, in, in, in Corn Ferry, we were out doing a search for a company that wanted to, you know, employ their first few headcount in Australia. And towards the end of the search process, you know, while we were finding a, you know, finding the, the offers for the candidates and talking to the clients, it transpired that the client didn't have an entity in Australia. And they told us that it was going to take another four or five months. What happened after that is that, you know, all parties found it totally unacceptable. Our Australian team was up in arms. The Australian candidates were, you know, all suddenly going and saying, forget it, let's go and look for other opportunities. And so the team had to go and scramble around to look for a solution. What was interesting was that it took us three weeks to come up with a solution. So that is how, you know, this, this industry is not particularly well served in the sense that very few people know about it. And as a result of which, you know, there is a lot of information asymmetry around this space. So what we are building now is that we are coming up with a PEO platform and a PEO means a professional employer organization in which we enable companies to hire people in foreign jurisdictions where they don't have their own legal entities. So, you know, what this basically means is that, you know, typically when a company wants to hire someone in India, Philippines, Vietnam, they will have to set up their own legal entity in that country and then they can 
employ people in order to comply with the local labor requirements, right? So that process in itself is a very arduous process. And at the same time, it does not necessarily benefit the company itself. You see, when, when companies you know, are, are going around setting up legal entities in other countries, where a lot of you know, companies used to think is that, you know, I'm going to set up shop, I have to set up legal entity. But now the, the narrative has changed, you know, whereby it doesn't mean you need to go and register a legal entity in that particular country until and unless you need to start billing in local currencies. So where we are coming from is that we are telling companies that, you know, hey, you know, you don't need to set up a legal entity until you're absolutely certain about the market. So the, the underlying principles is that, you know, nowadays, when you are trying to set up a legal entity in a foreign country, governments are very, very keen to get you to come on board, you know, and that process can take you from three months to six months, which is not so bad. But when it comes to closing down a legal entity, it can easily take up to three years. And during that three-year process, you know, every single government agency from their labor, tax, audit, everybody will want to come and, you know, have a very close look into your organization and to try to establish why you're closing down shop in that particular country. So very few companies know about this part and they only learn about it when it's too late. So that is the, the underlying idea around, you know, the multiplier PEO platform. And based on what you just shared, may I also understand which are the countries that you are providing your services right now? So we are providing our services across Asia-Pacific. This is all the way from Japan, Korea, China, Taiwan, all the way to, you know, India, Sri Lanka, Southeast Asia, all, almost all the countries, and Australia, New Zealand. So we are Asia-Pacific specialists. So in essence, you somewhat T-loan your entity for the organizations? Is that how it works? So that they can go through their day-to-day, -day, hire people, put them on payroll and, and, and all those stuff? That, that is definitely one way to look at it. The way we see it is that, you know, we are hosting a person's employees on their behalf. I so see. We basically, we basically take responsibility for local labor law compliance. And putting on my former recruitment hat, I guess companies would not just go straight to a recruitment agencies in that country because end of the day, they still need to have a local entity, right? In order to pay that recruitment business to begin with. Not all the time. You can engage the recruitment business from a foreign country. But when it comes to hiring a person and to taking the responsibility, then that is where we come in. So typically, we work with both recruitment agencies as well as end uh, customers, which are your direct companies. Lah. Got it. And how has this trend been prevalent most recently? And of course, we had the COVID last year and still having it right now. Have you seen an uptick in companies trying to go overseas, even, even despite the pandemic, and trying to grow their headcount in other countries? Yeah, so I think that there, there, there are a very, there are few, there are three major, um, you know, drivers for this. So first things first, if you look at a country like Singapore, you know, we've had a talent shortage for the last maybe 15 years or so. You know, we've seen a large number of, you know, expats coming here to, you know, fill in these talent gaps that we have in the market. So because of talent gaps, most companies will tend to be forced to look outside their own market to find, you know, talent. 
Now, that, that was over the last 15, 20 years. But in the last four or five years, uh, what actually started driving this more was the availability of collaboration tools. So if you, if you were to follow a, a large enterprise company like Microsoft, uh, you know, Microsoft only launched their, you know, their Teams product only in the last two to three years, you know. So hmm. actually, th- those, are the, those are the major drivers. And if you look at Zoom, Zoom was also only came about in the market properly about two, three years ago. Prior to that, the technology was a little bit raw where, you know, the only options available to people were like Skype and, and that too also maybe only in the last five years. So if you go back 10 years, you don't have very many collaboration tools. Cloud, cloud-based software was not very common. So ha- having all the tools available also enabled this transition towards a more distributed and uh, workforce, you see. And I guess the distribution would definitely be a way helpful supporting companies to try to fill up the human talent shortage. As according to a Conferry study, it shows by 2030, there'll be a global human talent shortage of more than 85 million people, which would translate to roughly about $8.5 trillion in unrealized annual revenue. So this would be a way for companies to look beyond the talent shortage, which has always been happening for the longest time in Singapore. And we can see that with shrinking population, schools closing down, no more driver cook vocation in NS because we are we are just so short of people right now where every talent counts but still for the young generation they may not necessarily want to go into the workforce and even for those that are going to the workforce looking at the graduate employment survey each of them actually cost quite a fair bit of money that not many yeah. companies can afford that is absolutely the case that is absolutely the case you know, with respect to those those mega trends, you know, as you, you described in the Corn Ferry report, those numbers, those 85 million, actually they only covered about 20 countries, you know, in that study. So it didn't cover a lot of Southeast Asian countries. I know it covered Singapore where I think they described Singapore as having a shortage of about 1 to 2 million in terms of skill talent shortage by 2030. I think Indonesia was in a very critical stage where they would be looking at a shortage of between 12 to 16 million uh, by 2030. And Japan is, is one market where even today, they have a very, you know, they, they have a very tight labor market. And this is also seen in terms of the amount of innovation that they have had in the last 10 years. So you don't have enough people working on projects, R&D projects and stuff like that. Innovation also suffers. And specific to Singapore, are you seeing a lot of cases or instances where companies are actively looking to hire talents overseas or even offshoring their, their roles uh, out from their Singapore offices? No, Adrian, that, that, that has always been the case. So that has always been the case in the sense that, especially, you know, once there were a lot more collaboration tools and... The, the, what has been interesting in that Singapore over the last five to 10 years, when you have a lot of expats coming to Singapore, maybe from the Philippines, Vietnam, India, Indonesia, what that also does for your teams, your, your local teams in Singapore, is that it adds that multicultural vibe, right? And then that allows the company to be more comfortable with hiring people from that country, 
So, I mean, I can give you a typical, ex- I mean, a, a very typical scenario, you know. Maybe you'll have, you know, a, a company who, who's been running here. And then, you know, a CTO comes along and the CTO is maybe from a country like Sri Lanka. Now, what that happens is that previously, if you just were relying on your local team, you would have almost zero familiarity with Sri Lanka or Sri Lankan talent. But now, just because you have that one person who is able to give you an insight into what the talent looks like in Sri Lanka, all of a sudden, the company is more open to having a team sitting in Sri Lanka. You see? And so this has happened across almost all functions. And and it's not just about Sri Lanka, it's about pretty much all countries around Southeast Asia and also especially for countries like Indonesia, Philippines, India, you know, where you have an abundant amount of talent sitting in Singapore and providing insights into hiring talent from their home countries. Right. And all these offshoring kind of activities for companies that might be keen to look at it, but may be quite fearful of all this legislation, loopholes and and all that kind of stuff. And potentially for companies that may not even have hired or been exposed to people of other nationality, maybe a very local kind of companies, how, how should they even take the first step to consider which country to go for, which one to go with or which one to consider? Yeah. So essentially, you know what we are looking at at this point in time is that in a particular country, you know, the especially in a Singapore context, you know, what, what, that's not what we are talking about just with respect to, you know, familiarity of remote talent. That was, that is a major driver. But I think now in the last 12 months or so, you know, after COVID and all, a lot of businesses just find it plain difficult, you know, in terms of their tightness. So in the last few months, then there is an, again another another whole movement of companies who are saying, you know, maybe I need to start offshoring a few of my roles. And you're absolutely right in understanding that, you know, a lot of these companies don't know where to start. With respect to that, you know, this is where, you know, companies like Multiplier and ourselves, because we have such a aerial overview of what is happening in Asia-Pacific, we are in a comfortable position to actually say that, you know, at this point in time, most companies are looking at this particular country for talent. So, for example, I think, you know, in the in the last many, many years, you know, India has been a country that has attracted a lot of interest when it comes to technology talent. You know, they, they, they pretty much have like, you know, close to 5 million Android developers alone. You know, that is, that is a really, really large sum. At the same time, you know, you have huge, huge companies like Tata, Infosys, Wipro, all these organizations that, you know, pretty much hire more than, you know, 2 million headcount in total in India itself. And all of these people are, you know, qualified workforce. And what has been interesting is that, you know, in the last year or so, there has been a huge shift in interest from, from you know, hiring in India to hiring in Vietnam, for instance. So that is the sort of insights that, you know, we are able to derive because companies are now talking to us about saying, you know, you know, India is a very competitive market. We don't stand a chance because our branding is not good enough or, you know, we are not able to hire fast enough or something or another. And because of that, they are saying, okay, maybe now we have to start going to Vietnam. And, you know, with respect to that, it then becomes easy for us to predict that within the next two to three years, in Vietnam will also be too hot a market. And then, you know, everybody will be looking at other markets and 
hopefully by then, you know, countries like Cambodia, Laos, Indonesia will, will start producing talent in those kind of numbers. So as of now, would there be any specific kind of functions that each of these countries you believe would have a stronger strength in? As you mentioned, India would be on IT talent as well as Vietnam. What about the other neighboring countries? Are there any specific skill sets that you believe due to a variety of reasons uh, those countries would be better Mm. suited for versus other countries out there? Yeah, so I think with respect to that, I think notably, yeah, Philippines, because of their very high... Uh, percentage of English speakers and native English speakers, they have a very good stronghold in a lot of marketing-related positions, be it your content writers, you know, your copywriters and stuff like that, as well as, you know, customer support, that such roles, some HR roles, some accounting roles. Vietnam has got a very strong hold in terms of, you know, technical stuff and especially in technology. Whereas Malaysia, Thailand also are similar in Singapore where they do have a good number of regional, you know, regional talent, as I also call it. And I think that is definitely something in the future that, you know, Singaporeans should be looking towards and should always be looking towards. What what has been interesting, I think, in the Adrian in this space is that for the longest period of time, you know, there has been EDB, for instance, has managed to attract a lot of companies to set up their APEC headquarters in Singapore. Now, what that has done for Singapore and Singaporeans is that that has enabled a lot of Singaporeans to be in regional positions and be based in Singapore. Now, what that means is that when you come to regional talent, Singapore is extremely strong compared to most of the other countries around Asia-Pacific. So that is something that, you know, I think Singaporeans should, should always be looking towards because it is, I don't, I won't say it's by chance, but it's, you know, by, by good planning that there were so many regional headquarters here giving, you know, such opportunities to people based here lah. But on, on another note, of course, also noting that Singaporeans by and large would be much more expensive, given that we are the most expensive city to live in, compared to many other people around the region, Malaysia, Myanmar, what have you. It seems to be quite a worrying trend for any employee hearing this, because it sounds like employees will naturally find it much more attractive to just consider people overseas and of course with COVID everyone working remotely someone working remotely in Tampines is not it's not very different from someone working remotely in Indonesia so from from a certain perspective where are the jobs for locals and what can Singaporeans do about it Mm. no absolutely you know agent this is again going back to a lot of these opportunities I think when it comes to wage competitiveness that is definitely something we can relook at. But when it comes to lo- local Singaporeans' competitiveness, there is actually still a very clear edge in terms of how talented the people are here. And that mainly comes with a lot of people having experience covering the region. So if you go to countries like Myanmar and, and Malaysia also, actually, yeah, is that you don't have many APEC headquarters there, so you don't have a lot of regional talent there. So that is where Singapore retains a lot of its competitiveness. Now, when you're talking about a lot of administrative jobs, I think that is a separate conversation altogether because a lot of administrative work is getting digitized in one form or another. 
So in, in respect to that, I think then, you know, with respect to upskilling, that is definitely something that everyone talks about all the time. Those are the areas that need to be investigated further, lah, you know. Hmm, okay. Got it. Yeah, I know I know that is not necessarily a very satisfactory answer. <laughs> but you know, the the, the admin jobs, uh, you're right, is is definitely something where you know we need to thoroughly look into to see how we can make best use of our talent. I, I guess we can take a leaf from how we have progressed as from the days when we were one of the highly sought after manufacturing hub to mm. what we are today. So initially, we were essentially just like Vietnam right now or maybe China a few years ago. Low cost, good talent, and many companies actually manufacture their stuff here. I'm, I'm very certain people hearing this will remember, you know, the Seagate factory, yeah, yeah. La, the IBM hard disk factory. La. But over time, all these are gone. And also over right. time, I guess it has is also clear that when wage increase, of course, all these low-value items will go to other countries. But at the same time, there would be potential for companies to consider kind of low-mix, high, or, or rather high-mix, high low-quantity kind of manufacturing output, which is very different. So, and I think I've mm. also read somewhere it would be ideal for Singapore to position itself as a prototype hub rather than a manufacturing hub. So that could be one thing for people to look into as a reference on how they should upskill. And obviously, with all the government initiatives, skills future and all that, uh, upskilling is a never-ending thing which people should really get into. And it, it reminds me of during my earlier days in recruitment, I still remember during the 2007 Lehman Brothers situation, people who were laid, mm. who were laid off from banks, they were working there for 20-30 years and you look at their highest qualification, O-level. Post that, no certificate, no nothing. So essentially, <laughs> they have not progressed since they started working in the bank, which yeah. obviously make it really tough for them to re-enter into any market. So the, the, the advice out there for people really is to constantly pick up something. It doesn't have to be a night training or a full-time course, but any any form of upskilling I think would be useful for people to just keep their keep their knife sharp. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Adrian, also building up on that, uh, you know, what has been neglected by the sounds of it is the, the constant need to, you know, improve on the technological use within organizations in in Singapore. I think because of the availability of, you know, employees at the at the lower wage levels who may or may not be qualified, too many company owners, you know, rely on manual tasks and processes. And and I think that having having and I think this goes into like the minimum wage kind of a discussion, uh, is that then that doesn't breed innovation and doesn't force change. So over time, we will also need to identify, you know, how we can look at this further so that, you know, at least companies are hiring for the right reasons. You know, you, 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 there's only so far you can get just by, you know, saying I'm going to make, create one job that is a data entry job and how long that data entry job can last. Hmm. As long as there's data to enter. La. Yeah, la, but over time, <laughs> you know, the, the, the flow of data with API integrations and all, they will... The data entry jobs is not meant to last a very long time. Yes, e- even before that, we are already seeing a lot of uh, RPA in place uh, where API would never possible exist. So, yeah, I do understand where you're coming from. And, and in terms of what you're trying to achieve right now, has, has the COVID affected your business in any way? Not particularly. I think COVID works in our favor simply because people are not in a position to move easily, right? So, 
previously, you know, uh, Singapore was importing maybe to the tune of about forty to 50,000 headcount per annum to cover all sorts of jobs. In the last year or so, that number is far from, from 50,000. So companies have been forced to hire people in a, in a remote manner. And, you know, we are in a position to, you know, service this need. And as we go into the rest of 2021, what's next on the roadmap for Multiplier? Uh, multiplier, I think we, we are just looking to, you know, solidify our position in Asia Pacific. And over course, we will we will choose which markets to, you know, expand into, which potentially will be like Middle East and all. But at the end of the day, what we do and where we service is that, you know, we, we play into a time zone and, you know, we are looking to expand more aggressively into Asia Pacific itself, which means, you know, having more boots on the ground in Japan, Korea, Australia, stuff like that. So are you actively hiring for new people right now? Uh, yeah, in those markets, actually. I see. Awesome. So I'll be happy to add those links into the show notes so people who may be interested could take a look and learn more. So, but do, for do, do, before we go off, any for people who is interested to learn more about what you do, where can they go to? Our website, usemultiplier.com. It's a... It's a kind of a, you know, just a website which explains what we do. And we also have a lot of information when it comes to, you know, regulations and talent for different countries in Asia Pacific. So we your one-stop shop when it comes to local HR expertise. We don't directly provide talent acquisition services, but, you know, we, we can definitely point you in the right direction. As Amri mentioned, if you're interested to consider having your headcount in other countries uh, use multiplier.com would be the place to go I'll be adding this into the show notes and I'm right back to you thank you so much for making time today for this discussion and sharing more about what you do and how companies can leverage on your solution and services in order to scale their headcount regionally without the administrative hassle I thank you for your time and I wish you continued success with Multiplier thank you Adrian great talking to you thank you for listening to the podcast you can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.